Hear the word of God from selected verses from chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble, you are to fall down and worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire." Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, and drum, and entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men.
the hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, and not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The sermon this morning has been entitled, Faith Under Fire. Would you please pray with me? And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. These are exciting times in the world of particle physics. Because the world's largest particle accelerator located in Geneva, Switzerland, has been fired up and is running again. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. It's able to accelerate subatomic particles to speeds approaching the speed of light and then deliberately smash them into each other. These spectacular high-speed collisions and the the resultant splintering, shattering fallout are then studied to gain a deeper understanding of the basic building blocks of the universe. What the scientists have found is that at the subatomic level, the laws of physics as we know them completely break down. It really is a different world down there in which there are far more questions than answers. In fact, one physicist has said that the greatest contribution that particle physics has made to our body of scientific knowledge lies not in the answers it has provided, but rather in the difficult questions that it has generated, questions that we previously had never even thought of asking. Of course, it's not just the collisions of subatomic particles that generate difficult questions. There are other collisions that occur within our ordinary lives that can suddenly send us reeling in ways that can be really tough to understand. A loved one dies tragically. A business goes belly up. Cancer strikes. A marriage falls apart. A job that seems secure suddenly comes to an end. A telephone rings in the middle of the night and your worst nightmare becomes a reality. These are some of the dramatic collisions of life that can suddenly change the world as we know it, crashing into our ordered existence in ways that cannot be foreseen and for reasons that cannot be explained. And when it happens, we suddenly find ourselves standing face to face with difficult questions that, for the most part, remain unanswered. Like, 
Why? Why did this happen? Why me? Why didn't God do something? It's a question Jesus asks from his cross. My God, my God, why? Or else the question, what if? What if I had done something different? What if the doctors had done something different? What if God had done something different? And then there's the question, how long? How long will this nightmare continue? How long will this anguish last? How long before God will act? How long, what if, why? These are the difficult questions that arise when we find ourselves in the middle of one of life's tough collisions. They are inevitable questions and necessary to ask, but they are questions for which there are seldom any satisfactory answers. Maybe one of those questions is hanging over your life right now. Maybe you know exactly what it feels like to be left reeling without any answers by one of life's sudden and unexpected collisions. For some people, this is reason enough to give up on God. As the author of this thing called life, they hold God responsible for the collisions and unanswered questions that life throws our way. But for others, the raw experience of not knowing and not understanding forges in them a new kind of faith, a faith that resolutely holds on to God in an even more determined way. That's what happened for three young Jewish men who were living in exile in Babylon. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but they are more commonly remembered by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which tells its own story, doesn't it? That in this land that was not their own, with names not their own, their very identity was under threat, as was their faith. They had witnessed the great collision of their beloved Israel with the mighty power of Babylon, and Israel didn't come off too well. They had seen Jerusalem fall, the temple destroyed, the promised land lost. The questions, why, and what if, and how long, must surely have arisen within them as they were carried into exile and made to serve a foreign king. In today's reading, the collision between the faith of these three young Jews and the power of Babylon is brought into sharp focus. The king of Babylon, a big deal by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, had made a massive statue of gold. He decreed that everyone in the land should bow down in worship before it on pain of death in a a blazing furnace. Everyone does so except Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. 
When Nebuchadnezzar hears of their defiance, he flies into a rage, as fiery as the furnace with which he threatens them again. But they stand before him undeterred as they speak these courageous words to this big deal king. If our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace and out of your hand, O king, then let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if they did exactly that, but you get the feel. I mean, did you hear what they said? They say, if our God is able to deliver us, let him deliver us. In other words, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were open to God's dramatic intervention in their situation. But they acknowledge that they don't know what that intervention will be, or even if it will come. They don't know what God is going to do. They don't even presume to know what is possible. There's the hope that God will deliver them, but they recognize that deliverance is God's business, not theirs. If God is able, let him deliver us. But then what follows are these courageous and liberating words, but if not... But if not, we will not bow down to your gods. Burn us alive if you must. But here we stand unbowed. Deal with it, O king. Their response points to a different kind of faith than the variety that requires you to believe that everything must always turn out all right which is such a relief because we already know that everything doesn't always turn out all right. It's a kind of faith that doesn't depend upon knowing all the answers. Of being convinced of all of the uncertainties, a faith that is able to entrust all of the possible outcomes to God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar goes nuts, absolutely ballistic. For all of his swashbuckling bravado, he is completely threatened by the simple faith of these three young men. And so with irrational rage, he binds them and throws them into the furnace. And if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been incinerated on the spot, it would have been a truer story in one sense. But this story conveys a different kind of truth of what happens when we entrust ourselves to God when we don't know all the answers, of what happens when we entrust ourselves to God even in the midst of the uncertainties, how when our faith is under fire and we don't know what is going to happen, how then we discover that we are not alone. 
You see, in the story, these three young men are not consumed by the flames. Instead, they are joined by another whom the incredulous Nebuchadnezzar describes as having the appearance of a God who finds them in the fire and delivers them there. Because the point of the story is not that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the fire, but rather that they were saved in it. Let me say that again. They were not saved from the fire. They were saved in it. Could that be the truth? That this story speaks to your life and mine in the face of the difficult questions that the collisions of life throw our way? Paul Duke offers a great insight that beyond the unanswerable questions that arise in the collisions and blazing furnaces of life, another question may emerge, a question for which there is an answer. The question he suggests is, what now? What now? Given this situation, given this painful reality, given this fiery ordeal, what now? What now, we ask, and we find a God who is with us in the fire? What now, we ask, and we discover that all kinds of unimagined possibilities are presenting themselves as new chapters in our as yet unfinished story? What now, we ask, and we come to see that the very thing that was the cause of our grief can be the channel of God's grace in our lives? and the entry points for the work of God's Spirit within us. You know, the Navajo out west are renowned for the rugs that they weave, rugs that tell the story in a symbolic way of their life and their faith. The fascinating thing about every authentic Navajo rug is that every single one contains a flaw, An unfinished thread hangs from every rug. For the Navajo believe that within life, that is the point of access for the Spirit. Well, we dare to believe that this can be true for our lives too. That it's the unfinished threads that become the access points for the work of the Spirit within us. Will we dare to believe that as we will sing a little later in the service, our broken hearts and barren places can become the sacred dwellings of our Savior's love? Paul Duke writes, To bear a wound in your life is to carry an open space where sometimes the deepest gifts may be given. Pain can carve into us a kind of reservoir for new depths of power. Present a wound to God and ask, what now? And the answer might be, your brokenness can be a habitat for unrepeatable purpose. Offer to God 
our pain can become a channel of exceptional grace to us and flowing through us to others. In Ravensbrück concentration camp, a place of unspeakable horror and suffering during the Second World War, the following prayer was found pinned to the dead body of a little girl. It's a beautiful testament to this kind of faith under fire. The prayer went like this. O Lord, remember not only the men and women of good will, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all the sufferings they have inflicted on us. Remember rather the fruits we have bought with this suffering, our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart that has grown out of all of this. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits we have borne be their forgiveness. Of course, suffering is not in itself a virtue. And if different choices are made, it can produce bitter fruit within us. It can make us smaller people. It can make us cynical, self-pitying, and mean. The fires of this world's injustice can make us so resentful and so scared that we won't risk anything anymore, not even being ourselves. Maybe the difference in these responses to suffering lies in whether we truly believe that we have one who joins us in the fire, who acknowledges the reality of our heartache and pain, and whose presence invites us to ask the bold and empowering question, what now? So let me close. There's a beautiful story about a kindergarten teacher who got the children in her class to make a present for one of their parents in time for the concert at the end of the school year. One little boy decided to make an ashtray for his dad who smoked a pipe. So he took some clay and worked it and worked it with his little fingers and put a groove in it until he had something that possibly resembled an ashtray. Put a groove in pretty much anything, and you could have an ashtray. (laughs) What color do you want to paint it, the teacher asked. Blue, he replied, and so he painted it blue. The day of the concert arrived, and finally the big moment came, when the children would present their presents to, to their parents. But in the excitement of getting the ashtray and running to give it to his dad, the little boy collided with another and the ashtray fell and shattered into dozens of pieces on the floor. He froze. His little eyes grew wide in horror and then he just collapsed in a heap of great big sobbing tears. His dad was so moved by what he saw that he rushed to console his son and said to him, don't cry, it doesn't matter, it's all right, please don't cry. 
the boy's mother glared at the father and whispered at him, don't say that. Don't say it doesn't matter. Can't you see how much it matters? And then getting down onto the floor, she held her sobbing child in her arms and cried with him a long, long while. And then when the crying was done and the tears had been wiped away, she got up and found a box and said to her boy, now, let's pick up all the pieces we can and we'll go home and see what we can make together. That's the good news of the gospel for us today. It's the good news of the God who finds us in the fire, who finds us in our pain and anguish, who doesn't just pretend that everything's all right, but shares our tears. And then, with immense compassion and grace, gathers up the broken pieces and says to us, now, let's go home and see what we can make together. And so, friends, whatever collisions may have come your way, may the trusting surrender of your entire life to God be such that you will know God's grace to face whatever is before you. And may your faith under fire be forged in such a way that it would be the kind of faith that continues to trust the work of the Spirit, no matter what the eventual outcome of your situation may be. For while we may not be saved from the fire, the promise of God is that He will surely save us in it. Amen.